When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I grew up very religious. Religion is a very important thing in the Haitian community. Um, I don't know if anyone's ever been to a Caribbean church service. If you haven't, it's basically an enthusiastic hostage situation. Um, you're there anywhere from three to 100 hours. Um, you, don't, you don't know, because there's actually no person in charge of a Haitian church service. It's actually the Holy Ghost who's in charge. Um, and what they don't tell you is that the Holy Ghost likes to turn the fuck up. So you're just going to be there until the Holy Ghost is done. You're just going to be there. Last fall, I wrapped up a job working as an assistant. I produced a sketch comedy fundraiser show. I wrote and directed a podcast. And I started the Film Independent Episodic Writing Lab all in one month. In the midst of this chaos. I joined an office hour session at the Working Writer School, a school designed to support working TV and film writers. And I told the lead mentor, Charlotte Lauriston, that I was planning on rewriting a feature as soon as I wrapped the lab. Charlotte nodded and listened to my overbooked, overscheduled ways and then said, hmm, maybe you should take a break. And it kind of rocked my world. I didn't realize it at the time, but I needed permission from someone else to take a break. As an emerging writer and director, someone who has to side hustle to pay rent, thank you, No Film School, it's so easy to fall into a lifestyle of grinding and burning out and grinding again. It's a cycle that I have seen pay off because it has gotten me to where I am today. However, it's in no way sustainable, in no way to live a balanced life. So how do we unlearn this grind that's so prevalent in this industry? Welcome to the No Film School podcast. This is Gigi Hawkins. And the first thing you can do to find balance in your career is listen to Sharla's story. When I think of Sharla, I think of this calm, cool, collected comedian, writer, director, and somebody to aspire to be. In addition to writing for TV and directing her own web series, which I'll speak to in a moment, Charlotte has also built a career around supporting sustainable careers for working TV and film writers. But as we'll see in today's interview, it takes work to find that calm, cool, collected balance. It takes setting goals, but it also takes setting boundaries. Now, Charlotte has learned this the hard way and has fortunately put together a curriculum and a podcast that teaches us how to find that balance. She's currently a writer for Grand Crew on NBC and has previously written for The Last OG, Ghosted, People of Earth, and Hoops. In 2021, her episodic short Witchers was a 2022 Slamdance Film Festival selection and also screened at places like Austin. And Charlotte is the lead mentor of the Working Writer School, a career-focused online course and community for new and aspiring screenwriters. In 2014, her web series, Clench and Release, garnered critical acclaim that described her as self-assured and gleefully sarcastic, according to WNYC, and one of the most exciting and original voices in comedy. That's from Split Cider. As a stand-up, Sharla has appeared on The Meltdown with Jonah and Kumail on Comedy Central and performed with Jonathan Van Ness and Team Coco. Born in Haiti and raised on the East Coast, Charlotte's sharp observations of everything from family to race to pop culture to the absurd minutia of everyday life are delivered with a matter-of-fact punch to the gut, just like she observed my grinding minutia of the daily life and really put things into perspective for me. 
So let's learn how we can find balance and build a career this week on the No Film School podcast. I say that with such excitement because I made a festival friend who lives in Vancouver, and I also always assumed you were in LA. Oh, I love that. I love that you made a festival friend. But no, I live between LA and Vancouver. How do you manage living between LA and Vancouver? Well, we've only lived here for two years. We lived, we moved here during the pandemic, and the job that I had that I was supposed to start I was supposed to start Black Lady Sketch Show. I was doing onset punch up for them. And that got pushed back uh, to October. We moved during that time. Then I was able to do it remotely after we moved here. And then when I got hired to work on Grand Crew, that was remote. Um, last year for season two for Grand Crew, I had to go back to LA. So I just lived there for um, six months while I was writing on Grand Crew. And then, because for the most part, it's like, I usually generally staff like once a year. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes I've had years while I'm staffing all year, but that's not always the case. So I have time where I'm just doing stand-up or where I'm just writing, I'm developing, I'm just doing other things. So I can kind of do that from anywhere. Um, and my husband and I kind of were just like, should we move? <laughs> and then the pandemic kind of, gave us an opportunity and his work opportunity is what moved us to Vancouver. And Mm. it just kind of like all worked around the same time. It just, I I don't know, but I feel like everybody kind of knows when those things kind of happen. It's just like when you're kind of planning something, but a huge curveball like a pandemic gets thrown in and then like, but things kind of fall into place (laughs) and then it kind of works out for the best. And it's like, yeah, and now we're just like living in between two places. But I'm used to that because I feel like when I first staffed my first job, we were living in New York. Actually, my second staff job was in L.A. And we I had to like live between L.A. and New York for I think we did it for like three years because wow. I was like, I'm I'm not going to move to L.A. And then I eventually had to move to L.A. <laughs> so <laughs> And now you're like, I'm not going to I'm going to you're you're bran- you're branching from L.A. Yeah. to elsewhere. Now, yeah. when you are living I almost said living abroad like study I guess you technically feels are like I'm, I am literally in another country but it really doesn't feel that way like Canada really feels like America light it just is America but chiller a little and a little yeah. chiller a little colder literally literally it's and- literally chiller it's colder it's also just like much less activity going on there's just even though we're in a quote-unquote big city <laughs> in Vancouver it's Vancouver and Toronto are the big cities and it's like in comparison to New York and L.A., I think like New York and L.A. are like, you know, go, go, big go. cities of the world. Yeah, like they're yeah. very much go, go, go. They're much bigger. They're much there's much more going on. So it feels to me like very quiet and chill. Here, I need a little nice. bit of that in my life. I think it's, <laughs> it's been good nice for the business, like for this business that is so go, go, go and yeah. grind forward. It, it, I bet it's refreshing to be able to get out of it. When you when you are working in LA, how do you? I'm I'm a creature comforts person. I like yeah. my home. I like to nest. I Same. like lots of my blankets around yeah. me. Uh, how do you bring that to when you're living, living again, living abroad in LA? Yeah, you know that's an interesting question because this last time around, I stayed with some friends because we had given up our apartment in LA. So like. I, you know, usually when these staffing opportunities happen there, it's a, like a really quick turnaround time from the time that they hired to the time that they start the job. So I didn't have, you know, I had like a week <laughs> or two yeah. or something like that, you know? So I was just like, all right, well, I'm not going to be able to find a place in that time. And it's also very stressful to find a place in that time when you're about to start a job. So I just like, I started doing a little bit of that. And then I eventually found um, some friends that let me stay with them. I stayed with like two friends, one for a really short time and then one for the rest of the time. And I struggle to like make other people's homes my home, if that makes sense, you know, because I am such a creature of comfort and I am such someone that loves my own space. So that was tough, actually. It took me a long time to like kind of like mentally relax and like just like 
make myself at home in my friends' homes. But I definitely think next time I go to LA, I'm just going to have to get an apartment again. I I just didn't know what was going to happen, like with the pandemic, like how long is this going to go? Like, should I even get an apartment? And then who knows? I have no idea. So I just... I think I'll get one if it's absolutely necessary and then I'll be able to like nest in two places. I'll have my yeah. little like piratel as they call it in French <laughs> in oh. um, LA. <laughs> yes. And I'll have my home in Vancouver. And you know what's funny is that like a lot of comics like when we first start out like we move out to like LA or New York and we're like hustling and grinding. And then at a certain point like I feel like 5 to 10 years in everybody's dream is kind of to move out of LA, like be successful enough to move out of LA. <laughs> thousand percent. I, that is what you know, I'm working yes, towards. I'm like, I want to live somewhere where I can yeah. hop on a yes. little plane and fly into Burbank, the yeah. secret of LA. Exactly. The best uh, airport in LA. Yeah. The best airport in LA that nobody knows about until now. It's amazing. Since yeah. Leaked the secret. <laughs> well, let's go back to where you got your start in this world of entertainment. You, you brought up stand-up. It's our perfect segue. Talk to, talk to us about those early years. Oh, yeah. I mean, I am such a... I, till this day, I'm an anxious person. I, I actually just, like, now I know that I have, like, a straight-up anxiety disorder. <laughs> like, really? Yes, I'm a deeply anxious person, and I used to just, like, handle it and manage it. And now I'm realizing, oh, no, I have a lot of anxiety more than normal. You know, it's basically like my body's always like a tense punched, you know, fist, like always in fight or flight. Like I I've so I've had to do a lot, a lot, a lot of things to kind of like relax and just be less anxious. But yeah. Do you know what's interesting about I had a question here or more of like a thought but yeah. I, I had said, you know, taking your class, which we'll get to the school that you've built out in a moment. But I I was like, I feel like I'm an anxiety ball of nerves and I see you and the tools you've created. And it yeah. feels like you've built something. You've built a way of ha- running your career that is calm, collected and actionable. So the work that you've done has really helped me. Oh, I'm so glad. And, you know, you know, I'm sure we'll get into how I started working writer after we talk about how I started doing standup. But like working writer very much came out of my personal experience of being just like an incredibly nervous person <laughs> and just someone who struggles with a, la- a lot of anxiety. And I feel that, you know, our profession is very anxiety inducing. There's not a lot of security There's not a lot of structure, (laughs) which makes it like very amorphous and very difficult to know how to navigate. And I think that at least for me, the working writer is something I created because it was like, oh, this is what I kind of needed that I didn't have Mm -hmm. that, you know, made it much harder than I think it really needs to be. Because it's already hard no matter what, whether you have these tools or not, (laughs) like there's no guarantee that you'll work consistently. But I think that there are so many ways to educate people to give people the skills that they need, whether they're soft skills or hard skills to like really thrive in the industry. Cause I just don't think that there's any reason why we need to go in not knowing what our jobs are, not knowing what to do, not knowing how to like, you know, not knowing how that, not knowing that we have a lot of value. Our ideas have a lot of value that we're, that we're really, you know, needed and wanted because it doesn't necessarily feel that way when you're coming in. So anyway, that is a long, feel about where it came from. But yeah, I was an anxious little baby. I was just a shy kid. I was like a, a, a little a little smart, nerdy kid. I was really into reading. And I am a Haitian immigrant, which is just shorthand for saying that I did not see this career coming at all. There was mm-hmm. just no like plan for me to do that, you know, to be in entertainment, to be a performer, to you know, it was very much to be a nurse or a doctor or a lawyer, which were the options. You know, I went to school for uh, international affairs in global studies. I thought I was going to go to law school. I was interested in going to Japan to do the Japanese exchange and teaching program. Just a big nerd, <laughs> you know, just like living my life. Did you did you end up going to Japan to teach? No, I never went to Japan to teach. I don't remember why. <laughs> I don't remember why I didn't go I didn't apply, I think. I feel like this is something that you'll write a story about someday and then you'll like vicariously live through a character who gets to do this. I I love that, Gigi. I wasn't thinking about that, but that's great. (laughs) 
<laughs> That's a great idea. Thank you so much. I'll do it. But yeah, I just had no indication that I was going to be performing or doing anything creative. And then I had kind of, you know, a little baby quarter life crisis where I was just like very unhappy because I knew I was playing it safe deep down. I was in a career Mm -hmm. that I, you know, this was right out of college. Like I was in a career that I didn't particularly like or didn't care for, didn't see myself like going further. The people that I was working with didn't seem to be particularly engaged. And I had this deep desire to like get up and perform, which to me came out of nowhere because it's like, I don't have any, I mean, I've always like had performers in my family. Like we've said, we sang in the choir. We're like Mm -hmm. very much like a singing and musical family, but never, that was always just in church. Like that was never expected to be anybody's like actual profession. (laughs) So yeah, it was just a terrifying desire (laughs) that I had. And I didn't know anything about comedy. I had watched like Eddie Murphy growing up and Whoopi Goldberg in um, Sister Act and like these kinds of things. But I'd never really been a big fan of stand up. Like I was, you know, a Haitian kid. Like that's not something that we really like brought into our home. So just the desire to do it. And it was a specific desire to do stand up, too. I just wow. found very weird, very terrifying, very like I'm not even funny. <laughs> you know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm not funny. And then I had this little quarter life crisis and I, you know, I basically was like, I basically gotten into a car accident that wasn't really a car accident. It was just like an almost car accident. Oh and then gosh. I was like, I might die. I'm. It was just like a clear thing of like, you're going to die one day. I'm t- yeah. At the time I was 24. I didn't have anything holding me in Boston. I was in Boston at the time. And I just desi- decided to do what my heart desired, which was a really scary thing. And I wanted to move to New York sure. and try stand up. Yeah. Yeah. So I got a job in New York because I had to have a job <laughs> to go there. Yeah. And then a few months later, I, I tried my first I tried stand up for the first time. And I will say the rest is history because that's basically it. You know, like the I, beginning. Yeah. The beginning, which was, I think. In my mind, it's like crazy. (laughs) It's like a crazy story because the idea that it would even work, you know, because like 99% of of the result of this, you know, like I love everything everywhere all at once. And I'm just like, there's definitely a lifeline or um, a universe where this was a horrible idea. (laughs) And I never get a job. I never get staffed, you know, but I'm just like, I I feel that the way that things have kind of worked out have been nothing short of miraculous based off of my beginning. I love that you specifically, the fact that you you were drawn to the, you had this desire to do standups in specifically. I don't even know if it was as specifically in New York City, but was it? Really? Like, I, I, I felt like it was actually more specific, you know, so it, it actually was, it was specifically New York and it was specifically stand up, and I can't say where it came from. And I literally like, wouldn't tell anyone. Cause it was like, I feel like people would make fun of me. They'd be like, Charlotte, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, yeah. That's nuts. And you know, the few friends that I did tell very smartly told me, Charlotte, no, like, this is a terrible, like you're going to come back with your tail between your legs and God bless them. You know, they were really trying to help me, but watch out, exactly. you know, but it was one of those things where it was like, I, I know myself and I know that if I don't take this shot, if I don't you know, answer this call to adventure, which my soul is dying for. You know, I'm mm-hmm. so bored. <laughs> I'm so like unfulfilled. Like the, if the worst thing that happens is that I crash and burn and fail and come back home, then fine. At least I went out and I did something, you know, yes. and and it's been absolutely worth it. I think that a lot of when I first tuned into the No Film School podcast, it was when I had a day job, like a regular, I had a career and I thought it was going to be my career for life. So did everyone around me. And it was like, had stability and I was good at it. And I remember telling my now ex-boyfriend and my dad, who's still my dad, uh, that I was leaving and they were like, that's crazy. Why? What? What? That's crazy. And I think there's something that if you have the creativeness in your DNA and in your soul and you don't nurture it, you will go crazy. And I think like that is more anxiety provoking. And, and I think I remember driving me into pursuing something that I knew I couldn't, a happiness I knew I couldn't get. And I, and that caused me anxiety. And I think that was like, cause I similarly had a double down moment of 
I'm just going to try it in the worst case is I like live in my mom's basement. Yeah. Which is a privileged thing to say, but. Absolutely. You know, and I had the same thing. I was like, I have parents, they have a house. If worse comes to worse, I, you know, I could always go back home. And thank God that is the worst case scenario. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm so lucky and blessed that that is the worst case scenario. I'll be fine. And I think what an amazing thing our intuition does, our psyche does for us, you know, like that to make us so uncomfortable and unhappy so that we pursue what's inside. It's really, really interesting. I think it puts it has put me through a lot of hell. <laughs> I think another thing that's interesting about our intuition as once we're in the creative field, it's also easy to feel that we're doing enough or satisfied or tell ourselves that we're satisfied if we're kind of sidestepping it or, you know, creative adjacent. But I think it's hard to be able to pursue something and and respect it as a career because it means you're fully committing. And mm. and one of the things that that you put together with the working writer school is this idea of respecting your work and your creativity because it is a Absolutely. career, which I think was what stood out to me and helped me sort of reframe what what we're what it is that we're doing. I'm so glad that you you say that because I think uh when I'm talking to a lot of writers. Um, a lot of writers who want to make that transition from their regular nine to five day job or whatever it is they make to make it do to make a living to making writing their living. And what I'm what I notice, like from the beginning of my career is people the, is the difference between people who take it seriously versus the people who don't. Um, and the people who don't, whether that is because of fear, whether that is because of insecurity, whether whatever the reason is that you won't take it seriously you know, for yourself before even telling other people that you're taking it seriously is that it completely changes the way that you go about doing it. <laughs> you know, like if you, if you're not taking it seriously, if it's not really your goal, then it's not, then you'll treat it that way. But if you are committed, if you are like, this is, this has to happen. <laughs> like I am going to make this happen come hell or high water. Even just talking, I sound differently. You immediately know that one person's going to go about it in a very different way from another person. And I just yeah. feel like for a lot of people, you know, whatever the fear is in fully committing, you know, internally to to what you want. And that's that's one of the things that I had to do. I had to, like, fully commit by you know, at, at least for me at the, at the time, it was about leaving Boston, which was really, really scary for me. It was about going to Boston. I mean, going to New York, sorry. And, mm -hmm. um, I'm so glad that like, I was made so uncomfortable <laughs> in the place that I was so that, because I feel like there's no bigger way to take it seriously than literally move, <laughs> and, like go be in a place that's different. That's way more expensive, huge chance of failure. And just, you know, just terrible, terrible consequences if I don't, <laughs> if I don't get to work. Terrible. You know, it's terrible. It'll be terrible. There is something also with, especially with that reset of being in a new place. It almost gives you permission to take some risks, be a little anonymous, which 100%. is safe in a different way. Yes. Um, yes. And, and then there's this adrenaline high yes. that, I got to, I think I rode the adrenaline high of leaving my career for two years. Yeah, absolutely. Because it's terrifying and it's exciting and it's new and you have to figure so much out. It's fun. <laughs> it's, it is really it really fun. is really fun. It's terrifying, but it, it gives, it gave me a sense of urgency because it was like, I have so much to learn. There's such a big, like room for error. There's so much room for error here, you know? And like, I was really like, I didn't, even though I had my parents home, I could always go back to, I didn't have much of a safety net in that sense. It's not like I had tons of savings and like, there's not like a lot of cash sitting around for me. So it's like, mm -hmm. I can't really, you know, this is fun and it is exciting, but I definitely have to figure out how to make this a living and quickly. <laughs> or what was you know, that? What was that what was transition? Because you did say you had the job that pays the bills in, in, mm -hmm. at first in New York. Mm -hmm. um, what was the transition into sustaining your yourself via writing? What I realized was that it, 
I had to make things, you know, that's really what it was. Like we were at the time I was working at Columbia University in as a staff assistant in the front de- in the front desk in the film school. Great job. Great people got to meet great people, ended up collaborating with some of those people for my first project. But when I was looking all around me, I saw things like um, Awkward Black Girl. I saw Broad City had released a um, web series. I saw Mm -hmm. the actress at the time. Like that was like the first kind of like web series in our scene or whatever. And um, I think Girls was out (laughs) at the time, you know, and I loved that world. And I was like. I'm not there at all. You know, like there's so many black girls like me that I know in Brooklyn, in this, in this scene, in this world, like the world of millennial, you know, figuring it out kind of thing. And I was just like, I need to make something. That's what it made me feel like. And so I went about when I realized that I needed to make something, I went about trying to do that. Like I, you know, first I started with my improv team, like before I was just performing live, you know, but I was just like, even performing live, like that's not even like the real hustle. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. I can perform, you know, I can like travel to butt fuck Queens, you know, and travel and like perform for 15 minutes for some 30 people or zero people, depending on who was there at the time. <laughs> or I can I've make something. Yeah, exactly. It was like, or I can make something. And even if it gets 30 views or if it, even if it gets a hundred views, that's still more than the people just saw me perform, you know, like in deep Brooklyn, <laughs> like, totally. you know, no at two o'clock to- in the morning. Yeah, exactly. There, and there's no shade to improv. I actually attribute a lot of the, embracing fear and failing from my time doing improv, which by the way, I'm I'm not a good improviser. I know it, but I love watching it because I'm like, how are they going to get out of it? It's like watching sports. Yeah. I always talk about, because uh, I started as an improviser before I even started doing stand-up and I'm so grateful oh. to improv. Yes. I'm grateful to improv for giving me the ability to listen, to be present, to react honestly, like all those things that I'm learning in improv, they come across in stand up for sure. And they come across, I think they teach you a way of being that I think is really important too. So for sure, no shade to improv, but I didn't want to be doing it. <laughs> yeah. It's a, it's Midnight, a good, it's an entry. You know? Yes, it's an for entry sure. Thing into, and, and then to your point about working on a project that has, that has staying power. That is a calling yes. card. That is something. Yes. So once you started, so you were, so you were working at the, at the Columbia film school, yes. supporting the staff, finding collaborators, building your network innately. So like surrounding yourself yeah. with mm-hmm. creatives. And then you're like, I need to make something. I was like, I need to make something. My first stop, I went to my improv team and I had thought of a web series for us. I was a part of an improv team called the day camp kids it was just like me and a bunch of like first level one, <laughs> level two, like improvisers who were very eager, like made a team. And I was like, guys, we're hilarious. Like we should make a freaking web series. It was like a time of a lot of growth. We had like just moved into a second, the People's Improv Theater we were a part of. Oh, yeah. And we had just moved into like a second location. And I was like, oh my God, they're going to need teams. And we had just formed our team and we had just pitched a show and we started like performing that show and like promoting that show and stuff. So I think the team was a little bit like, Charlotte, it's like, (laughs) we're already doing this. And basically like everybody poo-pooed and dragged their feet on the idea for a web series. And I was already like, kind of like, you know, I don't want anything to hold me back. Like if I want to do something, I want to just do it. So I started thinking of a web series for myself and I made one it was terrible. <laughs> I talk about this before. I've talked about it before. It was called Funny Girls, like really not funny. It was really bad. Long, just terrible. And um, those were all great lessons, you know, like, you know, learning that I should just make, I shouldn't have to depend on other people to make things. Like if they don't want to make something, I'll make something on my own. Had an idea, made it, came out terribly, learned a ton from that, <laughs> made yes. another one that actually became clinch and release that actually that I promoted the shit out of because I basically just paid attention to how everybody else was promoting their stuff. Like I saw that Broad City was in Glamour. So I reached out to Glamour. I saw that, you know, this and that. And like at the time there was like, um, oh my God, what was the name of that website? It was like this comedy website. I can't remember the name of it. Split Cider. There was yes. Split Cider. Um, so I submitted it to Split Cider. They made it like a video of the week. 
And from that, um, I got an email from the person who would then become my manager, which was great. And then like a week or two after that, I got like a random email asking me to submit for a show that ended up being the first staffing gig that I ever got. Wow. So I definitely think it was, I definitely don't think it was, it wasn't my actual writing, you know, like my script, it wasn't my actual script because whenever I would have, you know, whenever, when I was, when I met with my manager for the first time, she was talking about my web series. When I talked, when I met with that staffing opportunity, they were talking about my web series and that's all anybody cared about. (laughs) Like they, yeah didn't necessarily and I was primarily a performer at that time I was primarily doing stand-up improv putting out this web series like I you know wasn't I would I would say that I wasn't yet a writer even though I had a script it was terrible but you know it was enough for people to see that I had you know I had the ability to put together an idea and execute it in a funny way, you know, in a relatable way. And I think for them at the time, at least that was enough to get me staffed on my first job. And I will say that that got me, I would say at least my first 10 jobs. (laughs) Like it took me, that web series took me so far and did so much. Um, But yeah, you, you got to keep, I've now I'm in the place where I'm like, oh, I have to like keep making things. <laughs> yeah, just like, yeah. I, I it feels like it's a, such an empowering way to be yes. to like take charge of your career because actually a, a writer, uh, a fil- no film school reader wrote in about this just last week. They said people always say let managers and representation come to you, but like how? What does that mean? Like what does that look like? And I think you, this is an a great example of what it looks like. You it's not that you're you're making something and just sitting on it. You are hustling to get it out there and get your name out there. And and not only are you writing a script, but I think there's something really powerful about showing that you can pull off an an entire web series and that captures not only story, character, performance. It it's just a it's it's low-hanging fruit for somebody to be to pick off and then bring to all the writers rooms and then continuously get jobs. So what an investment. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a huge investment. And I was so broke at the time. And but I so believed in the project that I just and not, it wasn't even just that I believed in the project. It was truly that I was like this. I need to put something out. I need to get a job. <laughs> like, yeah. that's how I felt. And I just wanted to say for, like, people who, you know, aren't producers, like, it's hard for them to put together a whole thing. You know, what I discovered while doing my web series was that, oh, I'm a good producer. Like, I not only am I good at it, I love it. Like, I love mm. pu- pulling all the factors together, pulling the team together having a calendar. I'm such a nerd about like my calendar and like having being really communicative with everybody. So everybody knows when what's going to happen. I found that I like that so much. Like it feels very natural to me, but if it doesn't feel natural to you, what does, you know, like I, I really think that there are so many ways to put out work that isn't necessarily just a web series or just a, just video. Like, it's like, I don't know if maybe you write poetry. I'm, I'm serious. Like people build entire brands around their poetry. Like maybe you're a book writer, maybe you are a podcaster, maybe you do something else. Maybe you have some other talent or skill or gift or whatever it is that you're able to share with people. Um, so I don't right. want people to feel the, like there's, they're, there's, um, is it Dylan Marin who is, uh, he has a podcaster called Conversations with People Who Hate Me about people oh, who I have trolled him. Oh, I, that's I, funny. Be, I should check that out. I don't know. It's great. And he wrote his first book, but he also got recruited into, or I don't think he would have ever been in a writer's room before, but then he got recruited into Ted Lasso because like that, what a perfect segue to the DNA of that show, which is to like, let's engage in co- difficult conversations in a positive way. I love that. That's really cool. I didn't know that. Well, it seems like you were able to learn the craft of storytelling by doing it. And one of the things that I know, because I am a participant in this 
world is there's a ton of classes about that teach the craft and a ton of books that teach yes. the craft of writing and story and and production and all these things but very few things teach the life how to live how to survive and how to thrive as a creator uh, as a, whether it's a writer or a filmmaker um, and uh, and and I often feel like when I'm interviewing indie folks um, or seeing them at a panel or running into them at a festival, there'll be this like v- vacant, tired exhaustion that just like is emanating. Uh, we were touching base, I think, during one of your um, brainstorming sessions where you like o- open up for former students and existing students of the working writer schools to come together. And I was telling you mm-hmm. how I was wrapping up a job and then I had this lab coming up and yeah. then this other thing. And and you and then I was like, and then I'm going to write this draft of this thing by end of yeah. Q1 and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and yeah. Charlotte, you were like, I think you should rest. Like, yeah. I think you should take a, some time <laughs> off. Two weeks, maybe. And I was like, oh, it was this moment of permission that I didn't know that I needed. And I needed it so badly. And I took a week off and I organized my cabinets and binge watched two shows. And like, it it was so important. So thank you for giving me, for reminding me and checking in. But yeah, let's talk about the, the Working Writer School and how you have built a curriculum and community around surviving and thriving in this industry. Yeah. I love this um, segue because it truly is why I started The Working Writer. You know, fun fact, when you do become a working writer, you know, I'm I'm privileged. I'm happy to say that I've had times where I've been extremely busy and I've been staffed and I've been doing a podcast and doing, preparing for my album and developing and like doing all these other things. And I had the exact same go, go, go. And the thing is, no one gives you a break because nobody is your boss. You're your boss, which no one tells you, (laughs) like, which, you know, you kind of have to figure out for yourself. At some point, your reps are not your boss. Your manager is not your boss. Your agent's not your boss. You are your boss and you have to give yourself rest. And what happened was I completely burned out. Like I just just got to a place where I was just so exhausted that I really struggled to do the work that I had to do. As a matter of fact, that happened around the time of the pandemic. And I was, you know, it was so crazy because everyone was like, oh no, a pandemic. And I was like, thank God, a pandemic. (laughs) I was like, I need a break. This has come at the exact right time. It truly felt like a gift, the pandemic for me, uh, because it was a break. Um, It postponed the project that I had to work on. All of a sudden, everything stopped. And it was exactly what I needed. And I just took a really forced break. And when I say forced, I mean, like, I wouldn't let myself take a break. Like, the entire time, even though I needed it, even though I was grateful that everything stopped. Like I kept telling myself, I need to read this screenwriting book. I need to write this script. I need to do this. I, it took, I would say at least a year after, you know, we, things had resumed and I had to start doing things on zoom again for me to realize like, Oh, I need like structured breaks. I need like real breaks that I give myself, um, where, I decide that I'm not working for this period of time. Everything stops. I don't take any meetings. Because otherwise, it's very, very hard to put up boundaries because there's just very little structure in the work that we do. And I think at least for somebody like me, who is someone who struggles with anxiety, you know, I do have, um, I'm, I guess I would say I'm like a little bit more of a sensitive person. I do need like that time where I'm not doing anything. I do need that time where I'm not overstimulated like crazy. I need a break, you know? And it's the best gift that I could have given myself because my projects were suffering when I wasn't giving myself a break. You know, I was suffering. My relationships were suffering. Everything suffers. Uh, And, you know, the ultimate price, I think, is burnout. I think it's just a really, really, it just, I think it's taking the mind to a place where it just really cannot function anymore. I Mm -hmm. I truly just was like, in bed for months and months, just recovering. Cause I was just so tired. And I, I felt that after years in the writer's room, after years in Hollywood, I just felt that there, at least for me was very little guidance in terms of how do I go about 
doing this, <laughs> you know, like even I'm learning how to write a screenplay. I'm in a writer's room. I'm in these meetings. I'm pitching. I'm doing all this stuff. But it's just like there's got to be some sort of like there was always this fear that I didn't know what I was doing. There's always this fear that, you know, I'm going to get dropped by my reps. Like I, I felt that like the majority of my career was like run by my fear of not knowing. And it's just mm. like it just made me feel like the burnout was like a result of not having information, not having structures, not having like confidence, just a lot of stuff. So I was just like, I want to teach people (laughs) who are coming in how to go about this, because I just feel like there is um, a need for education. Like, how do you work with your reps? How do you give yourself that structured time? How do you go about like building yourself up as a, a writer? You know, so it's, it's just, it just felt like something that I really needed. And it was something that like having that burnout, having the results of not having those things really made me feel like I need to do this. And that's how it came to be after a lot of pain, (laughs) a lot of pain and suffering it came to be. And from a perspective of seeing where you're at now, it seems like putting the infrastructure in place to rest and to like feel like build build yourself up and build that solid foundation has and and to counteract that uh go 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 that we're so used to and and sometimes it's coming from outside the film industry and just this hustle culture but also within this film industry where we glorify we glamorize the hustle and to yeah. a way that's pretty toxic in my opinion um but you're continuing to work you're working in writers rooms you're developing projects on your own and and what what have you noticed has since you've reframed things and reprioritized things what have you noticed has changed i will say that i do think that there is a time and a place for the hustle you know like i think like when you're first starting out you're hungry you don't have any skills you don't have any experience like there's a place for that But I definitely think there is something that becomes toxic about it when it's just expected to be forever. (laughs) I definitely Mm -hmm. think that like after a certain time, after you get to a certain point, it's time to realize that we're kind of in a marathon. It's not a sprint. Like this is a lifelong thing that you're doing now. You might be working at, you might be writing at 60, (laughs) you know, like you might be writing into your 70s. Like, I don't know. Like, I just, I just think that like, what is this rush? to be something right now when we're always kind of just like becoming whatever it is that we are. Or I I felt that it was like this feeling that where we are right now is never okay. And it continues on into a decade into your career, even when you're in a completely different place. And I was just like, there's got to be a point where it's like where I am is enough and where I am is okay. Because Mm -hmm. then this constant rush and this constant fear that I'm not far enough can take a chill pill (laughs) because I think it definitely needs to take a chill pill. So that's where I'm at right now. And I'm really glad because I definitely felt like I needed to grow out of hustling, if that makes sense. Like, I definitely mm-hmm. felt like it was something I grew out of because um, I don't I don't care to <laughs> I don't care to anymore, at least yeah. not in the way that I'm doing it, uh, that I used to do it. Like, I think now it's like a, a much like slower, much like less a lot less pressure on myself and it will come out when it comes out. You know, and that's really it. <laughs> that's, I, it yeah. takes the it takes the pressure off, and it also lets you know you can have a balance of urgency when needed, um, but also letting what you're creating unfold in due time if you're putting in the work. And one of the yeah. things that I loved about the one of the classes that you teach is about your schedule and in scheduling in a way that's protecting the writing, protecting the creating, and also letting you do things that are just the necessary life quotidian things that we have to do. And and it makes it reminds me of two podcasts that we have had a couple of uh, in this last year. The first was Alison O'Daniel's O'Daniel who did The Tuba Thieves. And she was like, I'm gonna make this film and I'm gonna give myself a decade to make it. And (laughs) I was like, yes, slow burn filmmaking. And then we also had uh, Greg Matola on 
and uh, interviewed by George Edelman. And I was recently re-listening to that. And he was talking about how even like, I look at him as like, you know, the, the guys made it a long time ago. And, uh, but he's like, talks about how you have to keep going and going and going and he's going to be working until they pull the plug on him. And even unexpected things like the pandemic, you can't control them. So you have to be able to like focus on what you can control and also do it in a sustainable way. Yeah. So, so I love that. And it, and it truly make, there have been a couple of, of, uh, unexpected things that have popped up in my life. And I think in the past I would have been a anxiety spiral mm-hmm. fist. And yeah. now I'm like, okay, cool. What am I going to so do glad. about it? Yes. Yes. I'm so glad. That's uh, awesome. One thing that I feel like when I first came across your work, I was like, damn, Charlotte has a great brand. Like this website's beautiful. There's also a complimentary website for the Working Writer School. Um, and then I was doing a little research to prep for this interview and I saw somebody had posted promoting the Working Writer School and said, Charla, famously not on social media. <laughs> and I was like, yes, I I want to get off too. This is killing yeah. me. Uh, and then I was like, oh, wait, no, she's back. So I'd love to talk to you about your <laughs> thoughts on social media as a writer. Is it a necessary yeah. evil? And uh, and because I definitely feel like I can't not be on it. Sadly. Yeah. Um, you know what? How do I... Let me say, I, I took three years off of social media and it was truly a delight. It was wonderful. Oh, yeah. yeah, it was wonderful. I got off right as the pandemic was starting because I was like, well, everything's canceled. I'm not doing I'm not doing anything. So there's nothing to post. So and then I didn't get back on for three years <laughs> wow. and it was delightful. And then I started promoting Working Writer and I found it extremely difficult to promote working writer, extremely difficult to continue to teach because it's like, even with an email list, you know, I try to impart knowledge on the email list, but there's also like opportunities to kind of just impart knowledge, like on social media, like you're doing with this podcast for no film school, you know, like there's just ways for people to find out about no film school. And there was literally no way for people to find out about working writer, except through my friends and word of mouth and things like that, which is great. But then even when that happens, when you, when I didn't have an online presence, it's like, well, what, (laughs) like who takes this and what is this? You know, it's just like, at this point, it feels like social media gives things a level of legitimacy and also for my standup, I started doing standup again because I stopped doing it uh, during the pandemic. And I, you know, I'm like a lot of these bookers are on Instagram. They're on mm-hmm. Facebook. That's how you have to reach out. And I'm just like, oh, my God, <laughs> like, you know, even if I just want to do some just get up and try some jokes, you know, like that's how I have to find shows. And then so I was using like my my I had done a short film and I'd started a Instagram for my short film. It was called like uh, Witchsters short. And I even when I was doing that, like even when I was doing the festival round for my short film, I didn't have social media and several programmers called me out on it. Several film festival programmers called me out on it. They're like not in a bad way. They're just like, why don't you have social media? Because, you know, everybody's pretty much expected to help promote the festival. And so basically I was just, as I was coming out into the world more, as I was putting out my short film, as I was doing more stand-up, as I was putting out the working writer, it became clear that I, I think I have to have something. (laughs) So I basically, I was like, yeah, I have to have something. And so now I'm kind of just in the place where I'm having to figure out, because again, you know, getting off of social media was so that I could be less stimulated because it was making me very anxious. Like all of the things that we just have to do, but I will say that getting back on, I've been less, I guess, triggered by it. I've been less anxious around it. So I think that's good. But yeah, it seems that unfortunately, yes, <laughs> you have to have as much as I would like to not have social media. It's a huge marketing platform. And in order for people to know about things, you kind of have to be on it. So and I want to be able to do stand up and I want to be able to do the working writer and I want people to find out about it, you know, and I want people to know that it's legitimate and that, you know, so I feel like, yeah, I had to, I had to give in. (laughs) It feels like it falls into the bucket of there's a time and a place for the hustle. And it's like the necessary, the necessary evil. 
damn. I was hoping you'd be like, and actually you don't have to be on it. And I could be like, bye. Well, I think it depends on what you want. You know what I mean? Because for a long time, what I wanted was just a break, you know, like a break from like feeling pressure to post a break from uh, having to respond to people. Like all these things, it just felt like so many things are coming at me constantly. Mm -hmm. It's not like I had like millions of followers or anything, but social media just felt like one more thing that I had to like do and you know, for me, at least in the place that I was in my life, it just absolutely had no place for me (laughs) in my life. Like it really didn't. And I can see that by the fact that three years later, I, I didn't care to have it until I literally needed it, um, promote the work that I'm doing. And I'm happy to do it for that, you know, because then it makes me feel like I have a reason to be here. <laughs> like I, there's a, before it was like, the, why am I here? I'm just like scrolling. Yeah. I'm getting more anxious. Like it's making me very unhappy. And I could have continued to be a writer with no social media, but I think it gives me more agency. You know, if I'm able to build a bigger audience, I have more agency and more creative control in my career at this point point for me it's like a necessary evil like i definitely think i'm gonna have to like figure out how to not be too engrossed in it but also build it but yeah i think it's like i think it's a good thing if it can be used well <laughs> but yeah. i definitely and if you think have, it's tough yeah and if you've done the work to contextualize what it is doing for you like yes. you're not just Why mindlessly there? on there right. Right. fomoing <laughs> exactly Getting oh, all man. stressed out. Yeah. yeah. It's like, if, you, if oh, you're not God. like, if you're not doing something purposeful and intentional, then no, I wouldn't say that you need it. And you could also always leave and come back. That's the other thing. It's like, it was such a, in my mind, it was such a huge deal to leave. And then it's like, I left. Nobody really noticed until they needed me or something. <laughs> and then. And then they found you. They found me. They have my phone number or they have my email. They found me. And then when I needed to come back, I came back. Yeah. <laughs> That was it. I like it. Uh, I someday I'll take that break. Yeah. And I look forward to it. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Sharla, for joining us and for taking us through your your soup to nuts journey from aspiring lawyer to killing it as a (laughs) as a working writer to empowering other writers and helping them carve out a balance. Where can people follow your work and follow your working writer school? Absolutely. You can find me at Charlotte Larison. So funny to say my socials. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, I'm at Charlotte Larison and the working writer is at the working writer. Yeah, a follow would be great. Like and subscribe. And you can also do the same for No Film School across our socials at nofilmschool.com. Thank you so much, Sharla, for taking us through your journey and taking us through how to manage a career. This is a thing that feels like most of us learn by doing through trial and error. And it's so refreshing to have somebody out there talking about it, setting a pathway for us and creating a space for us to unpack this career of following our dreams. On top of this, not only is Sharla creating a space and content to support our careers, but she also recently released a podcast through the Working Writers School. So please check it out. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. And you can like and subscribe to the podcast across all platforms. You can also learn more and get more content on building your career at nofilmschool.com. Send us questions about anything related to your career, your work, how to break in, how to break out of the industry, podcasts at nofilmschool.com. And you can follow me at Lost in Graceland. Thanks so much. Mm-hmm.